Welcome to the iSmart Podcast Show with Tom Rogers, founder and CEO of iSmart Networks. We help connect entrepreneurs with key partnerships to build financial freedom. The average millionaire has seven streams of income, and our guests reveal how they created multiple streams in their businesses. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around for the end of the show, where I'll reveal how you could be our next guest on one of the fastest growing daily transformational podcasts on the planet in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Okay, thanks for joining iSmart Podcast. On the show today, we have John Beck. He is the CEO of Ursus. He's been a part of uh, executive teams for six different companies that went uh, you know, public or were acquired. Uh, and also, Ursus is a five-year-old company with customers of household names like Tesla, Adobe, Facebook, and others. Done some pretty phenomenal stuff, and I'm so happy for you to be on the show, John. Thanks for having me, Tom. Good to be here. Yeah, so uh, you know, where, where are you originally from, John? Yeah, I, I was fortunate enough to grow up in uh, in Southern California, San Diego, and specifically La Jolla. I joke around uh, that I grew up in the bad part of La Jolla because uh, there really is no such thing. Right, of course, uh, yeah. not really. And, a thing. Uh, <laughs> and, and after uh, growing up in La Jolla, uh, went to UC Berkeley, uh, Cal, and I've been in the Bay Area ever since. Amazing, that's really fantastic. And so, were your were your were your parents like entrepreneurs, or were they business owners, or just like did they have jobs, or what was this? Yeah, far far from it. Um, dad was uh, was a uh, physician. Mom was a psychologist, so doctor and doctor. And not surprisingly, I studied psychology pre med at Cal. And uh, I loved uh, the people aspect of medicine, not so much the science. Um, was uh, working towards going and taking my MCATs and preparing for med school, and realized, hey, this is eight years of my life of something I may not really be totally passionate about. And uh, someone along the way said, hey, you should go get a job. And this whole internet thing was very early. This is the, the early 90s, um, not to date myself, and was fortunate enough to land a job with a company called Netcom, uh, which was one at the time of the, the first four internet service providers. It was AOL, uh, Netcom, and a few other companies on the East Coast. And uh, serendipitously, uh, I landed there. Took me about two months to realize that this whole internet thing had some legs. I had a real affinity and enjoyed technology. And the rest, as they say, it's history. And even to this day, there's folks that I work with at Netcom that I still stay in touch with that have gone on to do great things yeah, uh, in yeah. the industry and outside of the industry. So I was very, very fortunate. to. Almost like the people that are in like Bitcoin right now, you know, like the weirdos that are in Bitcoin, they're like, this is going to change the world. And everyone's like, yeah. you're psychotic. It's like kind of like that. You know, it was like that back in back at the internet times. So yeah. I just, email, I, you know? <laughs> I distinctly remember having so many conversations with my friends and obviously my parents' friends trying to explain what the internet actually was. Because uh, it was very early days, and uh, yeah, I feel very fortunate to be ahead of the curve in that regard, and, and to be part of that history. Um, but with Netcom, it's really interesting. So with Netcom, you know, you kind of got exposed to the internet. Did you immediately kind of start a business venture like right after you, you left that company? I, I, not necessarily my own venture, but I I was always looking ahead to what was next, and I think that was because of the people that I worked for, and because there were so many entrepreneurial minded Mind, yeah. at Netcom that went off and founded their own company. So my next move after Netcom was into the data center space, which again, at that time is very early days. I was I went to a company called Global Center, 
which nobody has ever heard of now, but at the time, our top three customers were Netscape, uh, Yahoo, and Playboy, uh, which were three of the top four internet properties at that time. Um, I would play uh, ping pong and drink beers with Dave Philo and Jerry Yang, and that just seemed normal to me. Uh, <laughs> part the, that was part of the job. Little did I know part that they would, go, yeah, they would go on to be these legendary figures in the history of the internet. Uh, right. But it just seemed normal and we kept rolling with it. So I, that spirit caught me very, very early, early on. Super rad. Uh, so, so that kind of, so you got a lot of exposure to some very interesting characters after global center. Did you kind of have like an inspiration to start something then? I, I always wanted to, um, I, I felt that I had to go, you know, earn my stripes, if you will, in various, um, executive roles. And I started in sales and marketing and uh, over the course of my career evolved into other responsibilities, you know, field support and. Uh, product marketing. I took a COO uh, job at a voice over IP company, which again was very early in the days of voice over IP. Um, so it wasn't until five years ago that I started Ursus. And really my only regret to date is that I didn't start, you know, five years earlier uh, or 10 years earlier, because I don't think there's any moment in time when you're truly ready. Yeah. Uh, you have to just start the journey uh, and, and learn along the way. And I, I think I'd be plenty uh, enough early um, but nevertheless, um, I'm thrilled to, to be where we are five years into this uh, journey and obviously a lot of work ahead of us. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, so, so from my take, it sounds like you had, uh, you know, these these executive roles uh, over the course of your career and you're were rubbing shoulders with all these entrepreneurs, all these great minds, super creative minds, um, really adopting a lot of their mindset, you know, over that time frame. And then that kind of cultivated a space where you were like, all right, you had the confidence, you had the knowledge, you had everything you needed. Um, and you just kind of decided that you were going to, you know, go this direction. And that was what, five years ago, is that? Yeah, five years ago today, or five years ago in June. And it's interesting, Tom, I, even though I felt prepared, uh, given my prior experience in some really great companies with great leadership teams, um, it wasn't until I started the company and I was probably, I don't know, four or five, six months into it. And uh, at that point, I went back to all the, the folks that I had known that had started their own companies that I worked for and either bought them a meal or a drink and said, boy, I thought I understood what you were going through. I had no idea. Um, <laughs> until you walk that path yourself, uh, you really have no appreciation for it because every problem at the end of the day is going to come back to you. And that was your problem, yeah. Yeah, and it, and you can't just put the phone and go. Oh, we got to call somebody and figure that out. Like, it's, yeah, and, and the more now. companies that you run, the more problems that you have. You know, that's exactly right. <laughs> so, I love it. Okay, so let's so let's kind of branch off and kind of go into Ursus. But I want to go into the bit of a how did Ursus like come about? What were like the initial like ideas or conceptual like points in it? Yeah, I I I, I knew when I started the business or, or when I started something, I wanted to have a partner. Um, and particularly somebody that had been in that leadership uh, position before it started and had success before. So uh, I did have a, a co-founder when I started the business. Uh, he and I had known each other for over 20 years uh, through uh, Cal and through rugby. And um, uh, and he was great. We had great success early on. We decided about at the two-year mark to part ways amicably just because we had some different ideas of where we wanted to take the company. Um and it's funny because I don't have a background in staffing. I do have a background in cloud infrastructure and internet infrastructure. When I started the company, I had a lot of friends and colleagues that said a staffing company might as well become an attorney, right? Because the reputation 
in our industry is often not that great. And much of that is warranted. The original blueprint was to start with technical staffing and then move up the value chain into professional services and managed services. As we enter into our fifth year, and I guess our sixth year, we're starting to actually execute on that uh, plan. So we built a very nice staffing pro- uh, practice with the clients that you noted earlier and are now starting to provide specific cloud uh, consulting services, professional services, which again was the original vision and blueprint for the company. Um, one of the things that you also learn as a founder is there's typically not a straight line between two points. Right. Uh, of course, correct along the way. And um, we've reached that point now where we're back on to that original plan and excited about the future. I love it. Yeah. So, so, so kind of a, a quick synopsis of, you know, Ursus, like what would be like a snapshot of exactly what you guys do currently and what like the mission is? Yeah, our, our strength is, is really, we're talent hunters. Um, we help uh, companies of all sizes, whether they're the household names or well-funded startups on very high, high growth trajectory, find the right technical talent to build, build their products and services and take them to market. Now, most companies have some sort of internal recruiting team and effort, and they obviously get a lot of inbound resumes. The value that we provide is we actually are going out and hunting people from other companies um, that are either competitors or in other vertical industries and helping those teams build and assemble to go do the work that they need to do. Our strength is within software developers. We also do a lot of work in the cloud infrastructure or what a lot of people refer to as digital transformation space. And we can either be an extension of their internal teams or in a lot of cases, companies will tr- entrust us to do all of their recruiting efforts to build out so they can focus on the, the selling and, and building of their products. Um, that comes in a lot of different forms. Sometimes it's in the form of a contractor. Sometimes it's a direct hire and sometimes it's a project. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we're still finding the right people and assembling them together to go do the work. And in this day and age, particularly in the age of uh, the pandemic, there's a greater need than ever for that digital transformation. Companies that were maybe on the fence about moving into the cloud or, or becoming digitized, when COVID hit, uh, they no longer had a choice, right? They had to support a remote uh, employee base that was working from home and in a lot of cases had to pivot or reinvent themselves to sell online versus through a brick and mortar type scenario. And you don't so even know acceleration you normally did. You know, you don't interview like, oh, like a person refers someone and da, 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 and then you meet them in person, you have that small you know, interviewing process, that entire process is now changing, right? It, it is, and, and, and it's different. Uh, I, the way I described it is they're not better or worse. It's, it's a different engagement. In some cases, people are hiring faster, uh, which is good for everyone. But I think the, the real silver lining in the, in, the, in the midst of the pandemic is more companies are accepting of people working remote in different cities. Mm-hmm particularly here in Silicon Valley, everybody's competing for the same talent. That talent is typically very expensive. If I'm a company that is accepting and able to support a software engineer that lives in say Madison, Wisconsin, um, the talent pool is deep there as well, given the university, they may be less expensive and they can probably still do the same amount of work as opposed to if they're in Sunnyvale or San Jose or Palo Alto. Right. you just have to know how to manage them appropriately. And, and the pandemic has forced people to figure that out. And that's a good thing in the long run. 100%. So how does, how does Ursa separate themselves from, you know, all these other talent, you know, recruiting agencies that are already, already out there? 
Yeah, a fair question. I, I wish I could tell you, Tom, I had some sort of secret sauce or technology that would, you know, that's revolutionizing the industry because not much is. You are the secret sauce. Come on now, John. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think the key to our success is most of our recruiters come from technical backgrounds. Some of them were former developers themselves. And more often than not, we're competing against companies that are using recruiters that one day are looking for an executive admin or for a salesperson the next day. They're trying to find an augmented or virtual reality software engineer. Those are entirely different skill sets and the technology requirements and understanding what those means. Uh, if you don't know what it is that you're looking at or looking for, you're going to have a very difficult time. And that's really where we've been able to shine. Yeah, 100%. You know, and wasting a lot of time. And now is definitely not the time to waste time because everything Indeed. has just gone on like super ludicrous mode or something like that. Indeed. <laughs> Cool. So, um, so, so different ways that you guys are, are different revenue streams you've been able to create within Aerosys is just like a standard, um, like fee when you find that executive or that person that fits that role, or how does that work? Yeah, we're we're pretty standard with the industry. It, it becomes uh, there's a little more choice when you're doing project based work in terms of um, building forward on milestones or time materials. One of the other interesting things that we've done, Tom, in in response to the demand for talent and the lack thereof is we've actually launched an apprenticeship program, uh, which we call Certify You, playing off the of U in our Ursus name, which is really designed for existing technology workers that have some years of experience in traditional data center on-premise uh, infrastructure solutions that have the aptitude and the interest in moving into the cloud space, but for a variety of reasons haven't moved in or been able to spend the time to go get themselves trained. Mm -hmm. the program is designed for individuals and for more importantly, clients that say, I have all this work that I need to get done. I'm asking versus and other staffing companies to go find me that talent. It's taking you forever because they don't exist. Our response to that is we'll continue the search, but there might be some folks that are right under your nose that we could train in the same amount of time it would take us to find that next person. Wow. Um, that would be great for you to have as an employee in terms of retention and they already know your environment, and it's been a huge success for us thus far. That's amazing. Um, yeah, we, we're really proud of the work that we've done there. And, and unlike a lot of boot camps that you hear about these days, which are fine, it's more intensive and, and, and customized for the work that the company is actually looking to get done, as opposed to, I'm going to sit you in a room or on a Zoom call for five hours a day to cram information to go take a certification so test. What does that process look like? You have to develop a lot of information to be able to Yeah, do that. We have, it's a combination of self-learning uh, through uh, some software that we take and customize off the shelf. But more importantly, it's the one-on-one -on -one time with our mentors or trainers, as well as group sessions with content that is very specific to the work that they have done. For example, if I'm a network engineer and I'm a really good network engineer working with traditional Cisco equipment, and now all of a sudden my company's telling me, hey, go write some scripting to work with Amazon or Google Cloud Compute. We'll create the training and the modules specific to that. So at the end of that three month period, they can actually go do the work. And by the way, awesome. pass the test and become certified. You guys are like becoming like an academy for companies, you know, like being able to develop the information that the, that the employees need to be able to help the company grow. That's right. That's exactly phenomenal. Right. It's it's almost like instead of recruiting for the, for the information that you need, you're just, you know, you're literally training your own crew. You don't have to recruit another person. You just got to, you know, give them the information that they need, put them through the process, so that way they can fulfill that position. That's exactly right. It's so a we lot got less. Tired, we, got tired of, we got tired of answering the question. Hey, I need five of these people. Well, <laughs> good luck. Everyone's yeah. So let's let's try something. Different. Yeah, less people the better nowadays. You know. 
Okay, so that, I mean, I'm sure the the compensation there is. What does it look like? I mean, comparatively from like the older model, you know, the the other model, right? Just standard, like get a, get a person into the company, and then this whole like certify you process. What is the is it compensation all that different? Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a for for us as a company, it's a little different. We, we're playing the long ball here or a longer time horizon, where if we train those folks on behalf of a company, we're going to make less money at the end of the day than if we find a placement. However, we're solving the problem for the client. And more often than not, when people are in the midst of a digital transformation, they're going to need a lot of different resources to do a lot of things core to the projects and tangentially related, right? They're going to need creative services, the front end UI UX. They may need product managers that are technical. So we're creating that gravity of talent solving the problems for our clients and getting, frankly, getting to know them on a much more strategic level so we can understand whether needs they have, which results in more business for us. It doesn't always happen day one, uh, but over time, we think that's a more strategic engagement as opposed to here's a job wreck, find me a body, you place them, and then you move on. The time of education is like at this pivotal moment, I think, in time where, you know, institutions are closing and, you know, the the way that people think they can learn things is completely changing. People don't value degrees that much, you know, anymore. Companies don't value people that have degrees as much. They want to know, like, companies are looking for specific individuals in their company to do specific things. I don't care what degree you have. If you can't do that thing that they need you to do, you're not valuable, right? So if you're able to train in that, that individual in a company to do that, that is a massive skill you know, in, in companies and really just, you know, I think it's, it is the future of, you know, of business and education just saying, hey, look, you know, like we're going to continue to educate your employees throughout the, the career of, you know, them inside. And as the company changes and um, evolves, we're going to continue to help and educate your team to, you know, keep growing through that time. And that's a massive, that's a, that's a highly important thing. I and mean, honestly, I think it's a better than saying, okay, when someone by, gets fired or loses their job, then we get to replace them with another person. Like that person was great. They probably just needed the education. They needed the training. They needed this and that, you know, they didn't feel properly supported, things of that nature. So that's really, really impactful. I love it. Yeah. I, you hit the nail right on the head and you and I could probably spend another hour, if not more talking about what has to happen with our educational system, but a couple of thoughts in response to what you said. One is, yes, the traditional model of you go to a four-year university and get a degree and enter the workforce still works for some, but not for everyone. If you know and have interest in being a software developer, a bachelor's degree, yes, is important because learning how to learn is important. However, there are a lot of avenues to take now uh, where you can shorten that time period to get your general education, if you will but enter the workforce sooner, probably make more money in the short term. Um, that's number one. Number two is I think companies need to think differently about the template of what makes a good candidate, right? More often than not, it's what university do they go to and what previous companies do they work for? That's There's just not enough people that fit that mold anymore. Um, yeah. So we start have to look at alternative education systems. We have to start looking at diversity for inclusion. There's other places where they're really talented and and even as if not more importantly, motivated people that want to learn and get up to speed as quickly as possible. Um, we have to do that or else we're just going to continue to lag behind the rest of the world in terms of STEM candidates and education and training. So 
we're doing our little part um, as it relates it's to a big part. Yeah, it's a huge part. part. And the thing is also, you know, I, I'm thinking that the like you said, like like the time frame. Like, what is the standard time frame on, you know, on on training someone in you know new role or some kind of new thing in the company? What's that? What, what I mean, I'm sure it varies, but what's like maybe a general consensus? Yes, specific to our program, we think the 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 right time frame is three to four months, and it's with a candidate that has some prior experience and context in what we're talking about, right? To take somebody off the street and train them to become a certified cloud engineer would be extremely challenging, (laughs) right? But people have worked in data centers or even in desktops of work and understand how data flows and the OSI model and some of the basic foundational concepts that still exist today. Those people have a great opportunity to go and learn and and frankly, make more money for themselves, right? I mean, the career opportunity for these people is significant. Um, there's just not enough certified trained people in the day to do the amount of work that requires, which is why we're still offshoring jobs um, to, you know, Ukraine and India and other places, which is fine. Um, but when you think about, you know, what we're trying to become as a country or rebound and um, and get back to work, there's just a golden opportunity for the education system to reinvent itself. Huge, huge golden opportunity. You know, so I have I have two kids. You know, I have a five year old uh, boy and a, and a three year old daughter. And um, you know, my five year old's going into preschool, right? So, and I'm like, all right, you know, this is like good, right? And I remember preschool when I was five years old. <laughs> but you know, here he is going to preschool, and you know, during the pandemic, they're giving them a tablet or an iPad. And, you know, they sit in this classroom and they, you know, go on their iPad. And I'm just like, this is, I'm not sure what to think about this right now. There's so many thoughts that are running through my head. I'm like kind of upset and I'm like, okay, well, there's some benefit to it. I'm like, and then, and then I'm like this, this whole, I mean, it's just, it's very interesting how the education system in general from even from toddlers, little kids to adults is radically changing right now in a way where I honestly think that the time that the information that people that are that are this generation or my I guess my kids generation they're going to learn like these they are going to be like robots like they're going to be like this crazy advanced like just very very intelligent most tech savvy you know like generation that's just going to you know the whole netcom and all those guys are just going to look really dumb compared to you know yeah. this generation that's coming that's been breeding that they're literally growing through the ai you know what i'm saying like yeah. Like that's insane. That's insanity, right there. Well, there's there's balance in anything, in the human element, as well as what technology means in terms of a career. I think sometimes it's very easy for us to stereotype and say, "Yeah, you're going to be sitting in front of a keyboard and writing code all day." That's not necessarily the case. I mean, if you think about what has happened in, say, agriculture, for example, right? A farmer of the future is going to look very different than a farmer even 25 years ago. They're using now drone technology and autonomous vehicles to do, you know, harvesting of crops and soil treatment. And, you know, that's that's a different kind of science and technology that, again, somebody can go down if they have a passion for that within farming or agriculture. They can apply the science and the technology to it. So I think sometimes it's it's we get scared and we we just out of you know what has has been stereotyped for us is what that means in terms of technology is very very different you can apply that to any vertical industry today um, people are always afraid of something new right i mean that's, that's why the coronavirus was so horrible because they're like oh coronavirus i never heard of that like little did you know that on every single 
you know, a uh, little sanitizing and disinfectant spray bottle. It said that it killed coronavirus. coronavirus. That's exactly you, right. you never knew that. You never read, read the stupid back of the bottle. So now it's new to you and you're scared of it. And even now with all the education, right, people are scared of, oh, I'm giving my kid an iPad. Like they're going to fry their brains and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't know. There's some side to it that could be damaging, you know, but there's also some, I mean, think about like, you know, the depression rates that are happening. Is that because of known technology or is it because of the amount of maybe disconnection that has happening between people? I mean, there's so many studies that can be done, you know, that aren't being done. So it's just difficult to kind of, to kind of say, but regardless, the, you know, the, the world, this world of AI, this world of like edu- the educational system changing. I mean, it's coming regardless, right? So it's either like, hey, adapt, you know, or die kind of situation. Yeah. And it's evolution, right? Our brains are going to function differently 20 years from now than they are today um, as a result of technology. We have to be cognizant and aware of, of the good and the bad that comes with that. But it's changed. Uh, I ask, you know, kids that I coach, I have, I have two kids uh, and I am active and coach a lot of kids. And I ask them the question all the time. What do you think 25 years from now you're going to have in your life that today you couldn't imagine the same way that 25 years ago, I didn't have a cell phone. And you laugh at me because you think, how in the world did you get anything done or communicate with anyone without a cell phone? I don't know. I went to the grocery store or like, you know, like right. Google I, Maps. I, you know? Yeah. And like, that's you got to remember all the roads, like all the signs, like you got to like. 37, I have 37 mapped out streets that I have to memorize to be able to get to John's house, you know? That's right. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, that's, that's the fun exercise because it will be, it'll be something that we haven't thought of and, uh, and we'll look back and say, wow, how do we ever survive without this? So that's, that's the cool part about being in this industry. You've seen with certify you, you know, and everything with Ursus that, you know, you guys have your, your business has increased during the pandemic. Yeah, we have, we took in, in March and April, like, most everyone else, we took a dip because of the unknown and everyone hit pause. Yeah. Um, shortly thereafter, we started to pick up momentum again. And since then, we've actually accelerated past where we were in February before all this hit. Now, we're very fortunate to be in a space uh, technology that has continued to thrive and do very, very well. There are many firms in our industry that are in hospitality and transportation that have struggled. Um, so again, we feel fortunate. I love this question. And I, and I ask, I ask this question to every single recruiter or this, or anyone that's in this industry, because I think it's important that entrepreneurs and people know like which direction to go in business to ensure that you're not going to be stuck or you're going to be in a position where you built something and then it's no longer needed. Right. So last time I talked with someone like this, they said that the spaces that were dying were like hotels and like airports or air, airports were like, for here having a huge hit. And the things that were exploding were like coaching. Is that true? Um, I, I don't know if I can comment on the coaching, although I would imagine from personal coaching development, yes. I okay. think I think hospitality and travel obviously got hit hard because people stopped doing those things. They will at some point recover. The message that I've always given to my team and that I believe in having been around the block a few times and you know seen the movie, Pick Your Metaphor, is... I knew that there was a correction coming. Um, it, it seemed too frothy and too bubbly prior to COVID. And I warned my team, having a diverse client base uh, and diverse segments of the market is going to be really, really important for us when correction comes. Now, I never thought it'd be in the form of a pandemic, but when it did come, our larger clients and technology continued to roll forward and higher, which got us through that time. Our smaller clients in some vertical industry stopped and in some cases laid off people. Uh, mm-hmm. It was brutal. 
Um, so I think that's an important lesson, regardless of your business and industry. I do think there's always opportunities in downturns. One of the things that we've done, really not as a pivot, but reactionary, which we probably wouldn't have done in February and January of this year is, we have a couple clients in the bio um, technology space or in, in um, uh, biopharma space yeah. that are now looking for workers to do packaging of COVID tests. Um, huge opportunity for us. They're hiring people in the thousands. And wow. uh, we decided to take that on at a time when we were looking for more work and it's been hugely successful for us. Um, and again, that was an opportunity for us that we you know, only came because of COVID um, and we took it. Um, so I think you have to be able to uh, adapt, recalibrate, and change your playbook because it's different now, and it will be con- different for the foreseeable future, and there'll be opportunities within that difference too. Yeah, hundred percent. If you were going to do any business right now, like during the, uh, with with all the you know information that you've carried like over the years and what you've seen through the pandemic, if you were just going to be like, all right, you're like, like Ursus is a hundred percent like it's going, it's running, or maybe you had a phenomenal exit or something like that. And you just had to start fresh and you wanted to do something new, which industry would you go in and what would, what business would you start? Well, that's a good question. I would definitely stay in technology. Um, I have a real affinity for uh, sports and coaching and athletics. So I would probably gravitate towards that. Although I can tell you right now, I know people that are in um, the, uh, industrial psychology space and industrial engineering space. In other words, re-engineering what the office workplace looks like mm. are absolutely on fire. And it's a fascinating uh, business to be in. Re-engineering but, your workspace. Well, if when when we do go back to work and offices reopen, it's going to look different. Um, <laughs> it's right? going to look different. Is office. it even going to be there? I honestly believe there's going to be a virtual office. That's what I think. Well, that's part, that's part of it too. I think it's a combination, and and we touched on it earlier. The virtual, uh, you know, remote workforce is real, and I think it's here to stay. By the way, we we we've been a virtual company for three years. So when yeah. all this hit, there was a day when at least I felt pretty smart, and we just kept rolling while people were you know pulling desktops out of their offices. But right. people will go back to offices. They will go back to meeting rooms, and we're going to have to adapt and change what that looks like, um, as well as all the things around managing people remotely from different parts of the country and different parts of the world. It's different. There's different ways to communicate. There's different ways to build culture. There's different ways to, you know, solve problems. And it's not just about technology. A lot of it has to do with the human element and how you manage those people too. Yeah. hundred percent. So you're saying something like, would you create something would be maybe like a one-stop shop where it came to, okay, you want to go back to work. You want to have employees like, this is what you need to do. Like I'm actually starting a disinfectant business, like with my, car wash we do like car wash and like mobile mobile car washing right we did that for for years and we still do it now but then now we're like we're expanding into like disinfecting offices disinfecting like restaurants and we're going that direction creating an educational course to help people help my partners and new people coming into the business go into that side but you would maybe expand it to the point where like not only are we going to disinfect you know your office if needed like on it on like a quarterly basis but then we're going to add these additional things you know to to get your people to go back to work yeah, and, and and how you manage them, right? It's not just about hey, we, we're going to do meetings on Zoom versus sit in a conference room together. It's about the way that you metric. It's about the way that you communicate when you're offline. It's about team building and culture. You know, I, I would say one of the things that we have missed the most is we would get together as a company once a quarter to have that FaceTime with each other, 
And we're obviously not doing that now, but we found alternative ways to build that interaction outside of the work conversation, more about the people understanding each other as, you know, the total human and our interests and likes, because while we may not recognize that as you build team and culture, those are really, really important things um, to have people get to know each other. Otherwise you're isolated on an island and you might as well be selling, you know, um, franchises. Um, so we've really worked hard to come up with different ways to do that virtually. Um, that's a skill that, again, a lot of companies are figuring out on the fly. And I think there's a, a lot of opportunity there to help folks. I love it. Um, yeah, super, super good feedback. Great. Well, um, you know, so do you have any uh, recommendations or any advice that you want to give uh, like CEOs and founders of companies, you know, that are kind of going through the pandemic and um, or anyone like any, any advice other than, you know, obviously that phenomenal idea. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I think the biggest thing and it's not just for CEOs, I think it's really for anyone is you have to be able to be flexible and I'll use the word again, recalibrate. Um, I remind my team all the time, the playbook that we had in February is now different than it is, you know, the different playbook we have now is different than it was in February. We can't go out and take people to lunch. Uh, we can't have that FaceTime. We can't buy them drinks. Uh, we can't have meetings in offices. Um, it's maybe more challenging to get in front of people or catch them on the phone or email or through social media. We have to think and re-engineer differently. And I think that's across the board for everyone. And CEOs, especially people that have been in the industry for a long in business for a while, we, we build habits. And you have to break some of those down uh, in reaction to it because... This is going to take a while to get to the other side. And even when we do get to the other side, it'll look different. So yeah. I think that's the biggest piece of advice for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. Uh, great. Well, so with Ursus, is there anything that you guys are looking for right now? Um, any like certain, I mean, I'm sure you can find a lot of talent, but is there anyone that any companies that you want to specifically work with or any kind of highlights that you guys are going for in 2020? Yeah, we're not that picky, Tom. Uh, <laughs> if, anyone, <laughs> if anyone has, listen, I, as much as I love our, our client, you know, how, again, those household names that are sexy, um, I'm just as interesting and it's, it's really good, uh, business for us. Facebook and Adobe. Yeah. Those are pretty sexy. Names. Yeah. I mean, they're great, but I love the mid market clients as well that maybe, you know, not everyone has heard of that have real needs that are going through a digital transformation. Right. And it's, it's critical to their business survival and playing a role and helping them do that is very, very satisfying. And we're very, very good at it. So, um, you know, the mid-market is just as important to me as, as the big names as well. Yeah, and the whole Certify You process, I mean, that is like phenomenal. I think that's really great. If any company, you know, needs to educate their employees, which almost every company does, you know, it sounds like, you know, they should have a conversation with you and kind of see what that process looks like. How do they How do they usually get a hold of you or get a hold of uh, Ursus and kind of start the process to see how you can provide value? Yeah, best way to find us is is uh, through the website, which is Ursus Inc. It's U R S U S I N C. And by the way, Ursus is Latin for bear, um, hence my my Cal Berkeley roots. Uh, you can also find us on all the social media channels. Ursus is pretty distinct, um, so LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or there as well too. And uh, love to have a conversation. Fantastic. All right, guys, reach out to him. Uh, thank you so much uh, for being on the show, John. You've done phenomenal. Really, really great advice and great ideas guys on this uh new possible venture because he's all caught up and doing great work you can maybe do that yourself you know so i would expand into it uh thanks dude i, I will have to talk soon and have a good rest of your day thanks tom appreciate having me 
Thanks for listening to the iSmart Podcast Show. If you are a business owner with multiple streams of income or professional who would like to be on the daily program, please visit iSmartNetworks.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you do that, tag us with hashtag iSmartPodcast. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform, and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. What do you win? We'll promote you and your business to our media fans totally free. Can you also hook us up? In your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. While you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow. That's right. Seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed 15 minutes a day. Thanks for listening. And thank you for being a part of the iSmart Podcast.